you know, she wore that best player to never win a major title for a really long time. And, and so not only did she shed that, but, you know, she now has us believing she's, she's going to win a lot of them. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the USGA Golf Journal podcast. Alongside my co-host, Mike Trosel. I'm Dave Giancola. Today, it's another great episode for you as we're joined by Beth Ann Nichols, one of the foremost golf journalists in the industry, senior writer at Golf Week, and president of the Golf Writers Association of America. If you are a golf fan and not following at Golf Week Nichols on Twitter, you're certainly missing out, so get over there and give her a follow. After an action-packed summer of USGA championships, we thought who better to catch up with than Beth Ann to chat about it all. Let's get into it. And just like that, Beth Ann Nichols joins the show. Beth Ann, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I just enjoyed a little Labor Day golf, so it was wonderful. (laughs) Beautiful. It's great to be out on the course as we uh, head into the fall season. And, and Beth Ann, you know, you've had a busy summer. We we know you from Golf Week. We've seen you, your appearances as a trusted voice on Golf Channel and from following you on Twitter. But just for those who maybe don't know, how did your journey in the game and your journey covering the game, how did that begin? Well, the, the course that I just played on Labor Day is the, the Muni down the street from my house, which is actually where I started playing as a nine-year-old in a in a city league that, that cost 50 cents to play nine holes. So, uh, so that was, that was the beginning. And, and that's, that's literally where I grew up. I mean, it, it moved up to a dollar for 18 holes and just super affordable. And, uh, and then I was fortunate enough to be able to play college golf at, at Florida Southern. And, and while I was, um, in school, my, I got into sports writing, just kind of, by chance when my academic advisor asked if I would tutor some guys on the, the men's golf team in a sports writing class. So he's like, I had an extra class to take. And so, um, so I, I said, sure. Cause I was an English tutor and I ended up just falling in love with sports writing. And, um, and from there I got to actually became a boat ride intern uh, while I was in college. That was my internship. And I, I worked for the Florida state golf association for two summers. And that's really where I, you know, uh, saw the other side of tournament golf, shall we say. And I, I wrote for the newsletter and, um, you know, went to events and just, just had a lot of fun seeing what it was like to have a, a job, a career in golf and started working at golf week, literally, uh, the week after full-time the week after I graduated, I actually started part-time my last semester because they were looking to hire someone right away. So, literally the only like you know real world job i've had (laughs) (laughs) week, and uh, i've been doing that for 20 years now so outside of like you know being a cart girl and you know picking the range and cleaning golf carts you know this is this is pretty much it for me (laughs) 20 years can you believe it's been that long at golf week i I didn't realize it's your first job but at a college but 20 years writing editing i mean it, it has to be, you know, probably considered somewhat of a dream job for you to be able to come right out of college into your job and then still be there two decades later. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, uh, totally a dream. I, I, I mean, I literally could tell you the moment I sat in my professor's office, he was a, the advisor for the student newspaper my, my senior year of college. And he said to me, so what is it that you'd like to be to be doing after college? And I said, well, 
you know, I'd, I'd really like to work for a golf magazine, but I figure you got to be 40 before you can get one of those jobs. So I said, so I, you know, I said, I guess I'll go, go to grad school, you know? And, and he saw this, this job posting not long after that for a scoreboard editor. And, uh, and I had no idea that, that these publications had entry level positions that never, never crossed my mind, even though, you know, I'd read all the agate pages, all the scoreboard sections for years in golf week growing up because, you know, that was before we had live leaderboards. And stuff. <laughs> so, so, you know, I was very familiar with that and, and obviously with their college and junior coverage, you know, I've been consumed that for years. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny. I, I just was in Toledo last week interviewing Paula Creamer. who was coming back to compete for the first time since, since having baby Hilton and, and, I, you know, Paula's one of the first players I covered when she was probably 15 years old. And, and you know, I was I was 22. And and it's just so it's so fun to watch players kind of go through these stages of of life. And even though I'm a little bit older than Apollo or or Brittany, you know, we, we kind of grown up together in terms of in our in our respective jobs. You know, I've been following them through all the stages and. Um, they were they were making a, a lot of money <laughs> at 18, so we kind of we kind of split there a little bit, but um, but just it's just been you know it's been such a fun ride and and such a dream to be able to to marry you know what I what I'm passionate about in in golf with with what I love to do, which is write. So and I always say you know I I, I write about people. I don't really focus on birdies and bogeys as much. You know I'm I'm more interested in in the athlete and. I think that's what makes it so fun year after year. And I think that's why people enjoy following your Twitter, Twitter account, why people love reading you in golf week, listening to you on golf channel as you, you do kind of tap into that human emotion, those, those human interest stories that make golf so great and, and why we love watching the game, talking about it right now, like we're doing on this podcast. And for you, you've recently taken a leadership role at the golf writers association of America within the past year, becoming the president of that organization, what's that been like to lead the GWAA, uh, an organization with with a lot of rich history and a lot of great golf writers associated with it? Certainly something that I, I never imagined I would be doing. Um, it, you know, I, you know, and, and, and before I, I talk about kind of what we're what our mission is kind of right now, you know, I, I, I just want to point out that I've worked with a lot of really great people at Golf Week over the years who who have been wonderful mentors to me, who've gone on to work for other publications and, and also, um, you know, a, a rival publication like Golf World, Ron Syrak was my biggest competition for a long time. And I call him Uncle Ron. He's a tremendous friend and ha- and really, you know, championed me a lot along the way um, into this role. And I just think that's something that's so cool about the golf industry is it's, it's small and people are so supportive, even, even if you are, you know, competing against, you know, other writers, you know, they're, they're still looking out for you and the bigger picture, but, but, you know, I'm, I'm just so, so privileged to, to be in this position and, um, you know, I've had so much help along the way. And, and one of the things we're really focused on right now, we just, we just had a board meeting today, you know, talking about how to, to make our, our organization a little bit more inclusive in terms of, of, you know, people who, who have, you know, non-traditional jobs now from what this organization was, you know, when it started, you know, 70 years ago. And, and, and so I think that's, that's really important as the media landscape changes to, to look at how we need to modernize and how we need to evolve to be able to, 
to better serve people who create content in all different forms. So that's that's something that we're we're discussing and, and focusing on right now. Also trying to uh, set some um, some of the beginning stages of, of a mentorship program to try to uh, to encourage you know a more diverse media room as well. I think I think that's important. So just just a few things that um, that really are kind of big picture that I, I think um, you know I'm trying to focus on while also trying to give our members um, you know some more practical things along the way too that that helps you know cut down costs and 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 provide opportunities and and preserve the access that that is so important to what we do to be able to tell stories that go beyond what you see on your television screen. It's just so important. Those those big picture items that you talk about that you're working on with the GWAA, I think they align so closely with the initiatives of the USGA, just kind of everything outside the ropes, right? Whether it's media, um, agronomy, all of the things that people may not necessarily think of that just tune in on Sunday to watch golf, but how big our industry is uh, and how welcoming it can be and how we're all working to get there in the future. I think it, it's tremendous. And in between all of that, all you're doing, let's say off the course, Beth Ann, you still may make it to the premier championships and grind it out Thursday through Sunday, just like the players <laughs> providing content to golf fans around the country. And I'll plug it again, golf week Nichols on Twitter, probably one of the best golf follows. If you're, if you're a diehard golf fan, like we are, but this summer you kicked it off with the USGA down at pine needles. Uh, it was quite an event, obviously with Prometica being the presenting sponsor of the championship for the first time, the purse up to 10 million with, with the promise of getting up to 12 million in the near future. What was that week like? Obviously, the rich history that Pine Needles has had and the champions that it's produced from a U.S. Women's Open perspective, but the buzz around women's golf and women's sport in general that week with the elevation of that championship. Yeah, it was it was tremendous. I mean, you know, when you you look at, you know, the, the statement that a $10 million purse makes and not only that, but it wasn't just the, the first place winner that was, you know, receiving yeah. a seven figure check, but, but the second place winner as well, which was a first for women's golf. So, you know, while, while Minji Lee is, is kind of running away with, <laughs> with the tournament, there's so much focus on the second place winner as well, because this is life changing money. And I think that, you know, that's a message that, you know, is so important for, for so many players. It's not just, you know, the top, the top of the, of the leaderboard, but you know, there are some weeks on the LPGA where you can make a cut and still lose money when you factor in the expenses for the week. And so it's so important that that, that purse, you know, filters all the way down um, to the cut line. And then, and then obviously the USGA also gives a check to those who missed the cut to help cover those expenses. So you're not losing money uh, at the week of the biggest championship of the year. So um, you know, I just think that it was a, it was a tremendous week. Minji was sort of a, a, even though she'd already won a major in the Evian, this was, I felt like a coming out party for her in terms yeah. of, you know, really being taken seriously as, as a future number one and, and, and fulfilling all this potential that, that we saw in her from such a young age. And she, you know, she wore that best player to never win a major title for a really long time. And, and so not only did she shed that, but you know, she now has us believing she's she's going to win a lot of them. 
Yeah, we saw her when she won the girls junior talk about, you know, I'm coming for another one. Well, she got it in, in 2022 and it was a big one down at Pine Needles, no doubt about <laughs> it. I, I, you know, I think the biggest buzz going into the to the week outside of what we just talked about was Annika Sorenstam returning to Pine Needles where she's had success coming off the exemption from the senior women's open that she won at Brooklawn last year. Um, what was it like seeing Annika Sorenstam back inside the ropes playing uh, in the in the premier major in the women's game? You know, it was surreal because it was something that, that we never thought we'd see, you know, and, and I think it was so, so special for, for so many players who've never had an opportunity to compete alongside Annika and, and for so many youngsters in the field, because obviously at the Osterman's open, there are a lot of great amateurs and so many of those junior and college players have known Annika from, from the tournaments that she she puts on around the globe and, and the awards that are named after her. And they've, they've, they've listened to her put on clinics and give great speeches, but, but they've never, you know, that they've never teed it up beside her and, and, and watched her process. And, and obviously Ingrid Lindblad, the great young Swede from, from LSU had a, a remarkable championship, just a beautiful run playing alongside, you know, her hero, Annika. And, and, you know, I just, I put the bobblehead. I was great. Somebody at the USGA, I believe it was Julia Pine, was gracious enough to secure me a bobblehead. <laughs> it's on my, it's a, it probably in my TV shots behind my desk that, that, you know, I mean, she just, you know, it's, it, it was just a really special week. And obviously add to that, all that storyline was Michelle Wee announcing yep. that that she was going to step away from competitive golf um, with, with really only Pebble beach, the women's open next year in, in mind as, as, as her next and probably final start. And uh, it really spoke a lot to what the USGA has meant to Michelle. Wee her entire career, you know, it's been very obvious that the USGA holds, holds a special place in Michelle Wee West heart. And, um, and it, and it was, you know, fitting that she, she talked about that at Pine Needles, not too far from where she she won her U.S. Women's Open title on Pinehurst number two. Yeah, and, and Bethany, you've gotten to cover a lot of Michelle over her career, whether it was as an amateur coming through the the Wapple ranks or through the Women's Am and obviously through the Women's Open. And, and for her to, you know, already make that pronouncement that 2023 next year would be her final championship, certainly a big deal. But another big deal is the U.S. Women's Open presented by ProMedica going to Pebble Beach next year for the very first time. What has the buzz been like uh, among the golfers you've talked to about bringing this championship to iconic Pebble Beach? You know, I'm, I'm, I think we're all going to be really surprised by the number of players who've never played there. You know, big name players that have never played Pebble Beach, and Michelle Wee is one of them. <laughs> so, wow. You know, it's, it's, it's so exciting for them you know, to, to, to be a part of this history that, uh, it's a bucket list place for them as well, just like it is for all the amateurs sitting at home on their couch, you know, this it's, it's, it's a dream come true for them. And, and, you know, Laura Davies, you know, unfortunately had, had a rough, uh, Sunday at the U S senior women's open, but, you know, she told me, you know, she's still going to try to qualify, to play there because you know who would want to miss it you know so i i think for some players you know some players are going to try to prolong their careers to get to that point they don't want to miss that uh you know it might actually cause some players to 
um, dust off their clubs after a long, a long hiatus to get back out there, you know, with the hope of qualifying because, because obviously, you know, you, you could, you can do that. You, everybody has a chance, you know, if you haven't played in years on the LPGA or co- competitively, you, you can still make your way into that championship through a qualifier. So, you know, I just think it's, it's, it's going to be the week of the year next year in golf period, in my opinion. And I just, you know, I just, I can't, I can't wait for it. I, I just talked to a player a couple of weeks ago, Kim Welch, who was, you know, who I hadn't seen anywhere on a, on a, any leaderboard of any kind in a long time. And, and she played for a long time on, on the Epson tour, big break winner, won a ton of titles at Washington state. And, uh, and she said to me, I said, so, so what made you come back to stage one of, of Q school again? And she said, well, she was a big part of it is is pebble beach next year you know she said it's such a special place to my family it was the last place that it was the last 18 hole round that my father ever played was i was there with him at pebble beach and and he passed away a few years ago and and just you know it's just going to be if she if she if she makes it um you know a, a poetic week for her and i think i think a lot of players will have a similar story to that and I think Mina Haragai, who finished runner-up, you mentioned it, the seven-figure paycheck uh, for, for second place. Mina, Mina's parents own a restaurant out in Monterey, so for her, a little bit of a homecoming to go back to Pebble Beach. But I, I think, as you said, so many players excited about that. The list of champions, Tiger Woods, Jack Nicholas, you know, through the years at Pebble Beach, and a lot of the, the men's championships have had a chance to play there, the PGA tournament that goes every year, and now for the first time, the U.S. Women's Open presented by ProMedica. So a lot of excitement looking forward to, to next uh, late June, early July for that Women's Open. And, you know, Bethany, you mentioned Michelle Wee, and, and it'll, that'll be her final championship, final USGA championship, and likely her last before she heads off into retirement. Michelle, a big part of her career was the Curtis Cup and representing her country, the red, white, and blue against Great Britain and Ireland. This year, the Curtis Cup went to Marion in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, Great course, a lot of history, the wicker baskets in this championship. One of my favorite to cover with all the patriotism, the face paint, the singing, the, the flags. <laughs> I mean, it is it is so much fun. You were there, Marion. What was it like this year to watch the USA and GB and I going at it? Well, I, I will say, first of all, I've never seen I've never seen players spend so much time with young girls at a tournament. I mean, first of all, the club supported the event tremendously. There were so many families, so many young kids and, and the American and the GB and I, but specifically the American players spent so much time engaging with these youngsters. And it wasn't just like your, your drive by autograph or, or selfie, you know, they, they were into it. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I just know from doing this for so long, how important those moments are and how those moments set the stage for future stars, you know, and, 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 and really, you know, lifetime memories that really shape youngsters. And so uh, I, I thought that was so cool and so unique and really was a heartening thing for me, you know, given all that was going on. And for many of us, you know, this has been a very controversial, controversial year in golf. And that was just such a pure week <laughs> in every way, shape and form. And it was, it was, it was so wonderful to see. And, and, you know, you mentioned Michelle Wee West at the Curtis cup. The very first Curtis cup I went to was at Formby in 2004. And Michelle was on that team. And it was the biggest crowd I've ever seen in a Curtis cup and probably that there ever will be 
Pollock Creamer was also on that team and, uh, and, and Jane Park and Liz Jane Angelo and Brittany Lang. And it was just a stacked team, but most of them were there to see Michelle. And, and I just think about, you know, looking at that team and you knew there were going to be, you know, some major champions on that team. And I feel like we could look at this team this year and, and see the same uh, where really, you know, there, there are some big time future stars that, that were on that team. And, uh, and I really look forward to seeing how they progress. Roseanne being the first among them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You certainly can't, uh, you know, talk about any sort of women's amateur event, whether it's college or on the national level and not talk about Rose. She always seems to be towards the top of the leaderboard or in the mix and uh, leading the effort once again uh, at Marion, a 15, uh, 15 and a half to four and a half uh, point victory for the USA. Rachel Keene for the second year in a row, uh, getting the clinching point for the USA team, Rachel and Amari Avery, both going four and one And the lineup of courses is spectacular. Sunningdale in England in 2024, Bel Air in LA in 2026 will be for the U.S. Women's Amateur next year, and then National Golf Links of America out on Long Island in 2030. So not only a special competition, but going to some really special places uh, throughout the next several years. And, and speaking of special places, that then it was the third week in a row we had the Women's Open. You were there at Pine Needles Curtis Cup. You were there at Marion, and then you made a trip up the East Coast to another special place, the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. Had you been there before? And what was that scene like uh, when you got to, to the country club, the first major championship in the Boston area since 1988? I had not been there before. And I, I'm pretty sure that I just stood in the middle of all those gargantuan buildings. <laughs> like It feels like you're in the middle of a, you know, of an old tiny town square. And my jaw was just, you know, completely open (laughs) holy (laughs) cow uh you know i mean and i hadn't even gotten out to the golf course yet and i was just amazed by all the facilities you know i mean it's a it's a spectacular place of course and obviously got out on the golf course and um was even more impressed and i you know i think that and and you know when when you go to places like that what you just you just mentioned that incredible lineup for the curtis cup and you know, you start thinking, ah, oh, maybe the women will come here one day. You know, that's where my mind, you know, goes. Mm-hmm. I just come from from the Curtis Cup, but uh, you know, it was it was it was a really cool week. The GWAA, we actually had a function there. The USGA was gracious enough to to let us have a function in the in the media room um, on on Wednesday evening. And Curtis Strange came in, of course, won there, and uh, and he was our guest speaker. And we did a little Q and A, and he told a great story about his twin brother coming in. oh my goodness i was just dying because you know he said his twin brother you know got made his way in you know with with no tickets you know wearing shorts you know but they they didn't know at the gate they just saw this you know guy and driving the car it looked like curtis strange and (laughs) (laughs) drives on in and he said you know he said there's my brother you know standing standing by the putting green you know with an adult beverage in his hand you know and they're they're thinking wow this this guy warms up just like we do for a round having no idea that it was this identical twin so so just just a you know it's, it's really fun to listen to to go down memory lane with with you know past champions and chris was really gracious with his time and 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 something that didn't happen inside the ropes that week that was really uh important to me and in terms of something that i've been writing about for a very long time is mike wan's announcement 
that there will be a U.S. national program and and what that means for for golf in the United States. And, you know, there have been people within the industry, particularly Myra Blackwelder, former LPGA Rookie of the Year, was a daughter Mallory's who played on the LPGA who who really been spearheading this and pushing for it for a really long time because they look at all the other countries in the, around the world and see these tremendous national programs that they have in place and what it does to prepare players for the next level and and you know there was a lot going on that week <laughs> so many announcements so much conversation about live golf and you know everything else and 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 that to me was was a headline that was really important and, and, and probably more than most people realize, especially for the women's game. And, and no one knows that more than Mike Juan. So, um, so that, that was a, that was something big. I thought. I think you're right. And I think while that headline may have been overshadowed by others that week, that's the headline that 15 years from now, maybe we look back and say that was the biggest announcement of the week, right? Um, you know, looking into the future, making sure the game's better 50 years down the road than it is now, as we hear Mike Wan say over and over. And it's something incredibly exciting to be a part of here at the USGA. And Beth Ann, you talk about athletes, you write about athletes rather, right? You, you, yes, you cover birdies and bogeys, but it's the storytelling, uh, the, the stories, the things that these athletes overcome. That's really your bread and butter in terms of journalism. Uh, and, and what Pinehurst number six provided in terms of the host event for the inaugural U.S. Adaptive Open in July. Have you ever been a part of an event that maybe had more of that storytelling and more of those storylines that hit home than you've ever been a part of? Never in my life. And probably never will again, because I think the first one was so eye-opening for me in so many ways. I'd, I'd never seen anyone play seated golf before. And that in and of itself was remarkable. And, and I... I think about how passionate I am about the game and how much I love it. And then, and then I look at what these, these athletes, what it takes for them to get to the level that they're at, which the number of players in the field, Mike, maybe you can help me because I've forgotten how many the number was exactly now, but was remarkable how many were scratch or better. And, and I, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things, honestly, that, that you have to see it to fully appreciate it. So I found myself, taking a lot of video that week because I wanted you, I wanted to tell you the story of how this player, you know, made it to this field, but I wanted you to see it. I wanted you to see how amazing this golf swing is, you know, for, for, for someone with, you know, fill in the blank impairment that that's just remarkable. And so I, I think, um, I was doing a radio interview with John Patrick from Augusta, Georgia on, on the morning of the final round. And he said to me, uh, you realize you won't ever be the same after this, don't you? And, and I said, I said, he said that to me, like after we'd done taping and I, and we were off the air and, and I think, or maybe it was while we were, I can't remember. Anyway, I just remember getting this big lump in my throat (laughs) and I said, and I said, yes, I, I, I know that I will never be the same. And, and that, and that's why when I left that week, I was like, wow, everyone needs to see this, you know? And, and that, that was kind of my, my take, my biggest takeaway from it was how do we get everyone to see this? Because it's just so incredibly impactful in so many ways. 
incredibly inspiring. Beth, and you mentioned 96 players in the field, ages 15 to 80, <laughs> in 80 right? years in the field. Yep. I mean, you just don't have golf tournaments, championships like this, both men and women. You mentioned the eight different impairment categories playing from different sets of tees. But just to see the excitement, to see the, the, the joy at the medal presentation, not only for, you know, what they were able to, to accomplish as individuals, but as a collective group, finally getting a national championship, so happy for each other. And I think the fans, the volunteers who were there had it marked on their calendars. Everyone walked away, media members, whomever was a part of it, uh, is a better person. They came out inspired and, and certainly wanted to share it with other people. I mean, to watch you know, Jake Olson with his, his vision impairment, to, to working with his dad, his caddy, to be able to go out and break a hundred on a championship layout is truly remarkable. Uh, I know you had a video that then of Brian Venus, uh, who, uh, who's missing a leg and, and who didn't, doesn't wear a prosthetic and what he's able to do. So many of these 96, I mean, 96 players, truly 96 different inspiring stories, but they are true athletes from, you know, they're all coming from different backgrounds coming together, but watching Brian, watching Jake Olson, watching, Brandon Canisi, a multiple limb amputee who was born with no hands and has specially made clubs that his grandfather made and he tucks them under his armpits. It is so cool to watch and to, to watch that week unfold. You know, I've been the same way. I've been to about 75 USGA championships in my career, and, and this one is at the very, very top. A hundred percent. And Brian, you know, I, the first time I, I watched him hit a golf ball, I, I think it was the first day when it was teeing off. And I kind of did a double take. And then, you know, I, I, I caught up with him again the second day at the end of his round. And, and he was gracious enough to sit down with me and, and, and talk to me about, you know, give me a story, basically. And he's unable to wear a prosthetic at this point. And, and, and I said, can you go out to the range with me? Which can you imagine me doing this at like any other championship? <laughs> I just said, can you hit a couple drives for me so that I can, you know, get up close and take a slow-mo video. And he, he was, you know, as we're walking to, to the, to the golf balls on the range, you know, I, I thanked him for doing this. And he said, anything I can do to inspire other people, you know, hopefully this, this, this lets other people know that, that they can do this too. You know, he's telling me this as he's walking to go hit a couple of balls. And I, you know, took the slow-mo video just so people, for, you know, I did it for both angles, you know, because I, I really, really wanted people to appreciate, just like you said, the athleticism, like it is, it, it just blows your mind, you know? And, and I, you know, I just, you just walk away thinking uh, no excuse. There is no excuse me. <laughs> it was it was such an incredible week. And, you know, the, the two champions we've been talking about, uh, the, the championship because of all the inspiring athletes and all the inspiring stories. But in the end, there were, you know, two overall champions, Simon Lee on the men's side and Kim Moore uh, on the women's side. And you heard them talk about just how elated they were, not only to win a golf event, but you heard Kim Moore say just to be, you know, kind of in the same breath as Annika and Jack and Tiger and, and Arnie. You know, you're a USGA champion. And, and Simon and Kim will both be uh, on the plaque for 2022 USGA champions in the Hall of Champions here in Liberty Corner, New Jersey, in the museum. And if you haven't been to the museum, uh, it's worth a trip just to see that Hall of Champions. I don't know if, you, if you've watched the USGA championships, you see some ex-champions and some of our content walk in for the first time and their eyes light up just to see their names, you know, in this huge room with all the trophies. And now Kim and Simon uh, will have their names uh, on those on those 
same plaques uh, from from here on out every year. Um, so what what a what a summer it was there. And and Beth Ann, the summer still wasn't over. That was July. <laughs> Move into August. The amateurs went on, and then you were on site at the Senior Women's Open, a championship in, in its fourth iteration. And obviously, Annika took it home in Connecticut last year. The favorite going into this year, it was a stacked leaderboard going into the weekend with really all three former champions and Laura Davies, Helen Alfredson, and Annika right in the hunt. But who comes out on top? Jill McGill winning her third USGA title. And I think she said first win overall since 1994. Beth Ann, for somebody who's covered so many of these players and understands their stories, what was it like to see Jill McGill come out on top of that leaderboard? Well, you know, I think for, you know, you mentioned Annika, you know, Laura Davies won the inaugural event for, for, for Annika, Helen Alfredson and, and Laura, this was a continuation of a tremendous, you know, professional career. This was, you know, another chance to win another major title. And, and, and for Jill McGill, it was a second chance, you know, here's a player who had, who had, you know, won two USGA titles as an amateur you know, look like, you know, the world is her oyster and, and never got it done as a professional on, on, on any level. And so, you know, this, it, it was funny. Someone asked her, you know, well, you know, you've, you've had a couple dozen top 10 finishes and finished runner up several times on the LPGA. What did you take from that? You know, going into Sunday down the stretch, she yeah. was like, absolutely nothing. I wanted to forget <laughs> all of it because none of that worked. <laughs> like this was a totally different Jill McGill. And, and that's the truth. The beauty of it is, you know, you have 50 year old Jill McGill, mother of two, both of her children, you know, she promised them that if she was in the top 10, you know, going into the weekend that they could, they could fly in from Texas and, and watch her compete. And, and that's, what's so cool about this is, you know, these, these kids get to see their, their moms do what they did for a long time. And, and at, a, at an age where they can appreciate it and remember it. <laughs> and so uh, I think that it's just so, so fun and, and fulfilling on, on so many different levels for these players. And of course, Jill McGill will see her at, at Pebble beach next year because she earned that coveted exemption and in, into the U S women's open. And, and, and she said she absolutely will be there. You know, I, I think, it's just such a special championship because these, these players are so grateful to be there. They're so grateful to have this, this opportunity. And, and it's fun to tell old lore stories and listen to them, you know, you know, talk about, you know, what, what the LPGA, you know, was like in, in their time. And, and what, of course, one of the, the biggest storylines of the week is always Joanne Carner. And, I look at Joanne Carner as, as, as the main focus Thursday and Friday, she's, she's it for me. (laughs) What is Joanne going to do? And every player has a tremendous Joanne Carner story. (laughs) Just, just so much fun. Yeah, Beth, and what was your favorite? You heard, you, you, I know it was you and, and some others were asking each of the players who went through about about Carner stories, and everyone had a different one too, which it made me laugh watching those interviews. But what one stuck out to you? I think it was, uh, it was Annika telling the story. I'm going to the fitness trailer and, uh, and Annika's in there, you know, doing what Annika's known for. She, you know, changed the fitness level for the entire tour essentially. And Joanne comes in sitting on a bench 
watching watching her do her thing and then she just asked for a couple of advil and then she left <laughs> i thought that was just so perfect Annika was like and that was joanne garner in the fitness trailer <laughs> it was it was just so perfect you know i, I think and, and and jane getty's telling us how after a rain delay garner got out to the tea and realized that she had her shorts on backwards that was another good one <laughs> but but you know i i it, you know, the funny thing is, is that, you know, we're all getting excited about Joanne Connors possibly shooting her age or breaking her age as she's done so many times now on this championship, but that's not good enough for her. She comes in genuinely ticked off that, that she's not closer to the cut line because that's her goal is to make the cut. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the competitive fire is, is as strong as ever, I would say in terms of what she expects, you know, how, how well she wants to play. And, you know, that's why she's, you know, the, the USGA and LPGA champion that she is. So, uh, I, you know, I, I hope we get to see her again, but I, I kind of, I kind of felt, like I believed her this time that this, this might be the last time, but there's always hope. Yeah. We'd certainly like to see her again, but what a year she shot her age twice this year, five times overall for her in the U S senior women's open at age 83 for Joanne Carner. So what a career it's been. And it's been awesome having her in the senior women's open and the stories that come along with it. They're tremendous. And Beth Ann with that, we just want to thank you for your time. We could talk to you all day. This could turn into a four hour <laughs> podcast pretty quickly, but we want to thank you for taking, the time out of your busy schedule. Um, and I know you're heading on vacation soon, so you're going where the cell phones don't work. I don't blame you. So um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll still be following the Twitter, though. Something tells me you'll still be pumping out some content. But thank you so much for joining us. We can't thank you enough for uh, what you do for the game and the support you show the USGA. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Well, thank you so much. You, we've highlighted like basically my high moments from the year. <laughs> so it was a fun trip down memory lane and, and enjoyed, enjoyed it all. So thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you, Beth Ann. And thank you for everyone out there for listening. As I said earlier, you've got to follow Golf Week Nichols on Twitter. If you haven't already, you're missing out on content if you're a golf fan. And if you want to catch up on any of the 2022 USGA Championship action that you may have missed this summer, or you want to gear up for the remaining USGA championships fall, keep it locked to USGA.org and we've got you covered there. So for our guest, Beth Ann Nichols and my co-host, Mike Trosel, I'm Dave Giancola and we'll talk to you next time.